Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we talk about the popular video game PUBG being banned and the impact it would have on India's esports community. We also talk about the oil well in Assam that has now been on fire for nearly 100 days. But first, we talk about the telecom sector. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court gave an important judgment regarding the money that telecom companies like Vodafone Idea and Bharti Airtel owe to the government's Department of Telecommunications or DOT. The amount that they owe is so much that it has caused a major crisis in the sector and has even contributed towards several telecom companies being shut. This money that they have to pay is in the form of what is called Adjusted Gross Revenue Dues or AGR Dues. To understand what AGR is and what the Supreme Court has said regarding it, let's first understand how these telecom companies work. Perhaps the most important thing such telecom companies need to operate is a license to use spectrum. Essentially a range of radio waves through which telephone signals are carried out. Spectrum is owned by the Department of Telecommunications or DOT and it is DOT that allots a specific bandwidth and frequency of the spectrum to telecom companies in exchange for a fee. In a nutshell, it's like a highway which the government allots. That's Ashish Aryan. He reports on IT and the telecom industry for the Indian Express. That this is, you know, highway number five on which Bharti Airtel's signals will be carried. And this is highway number seven on which Vodafone's signals will be carried and so on and so forth. So that two signals don't mix with each other. And there is a clarity on which signal or which call is placed on which network and so on and so forth. Ashish explains that before 1999, all the telecom companies basically used to pay a fixed amount to the DOT annually to use the spectrum. It was a fixed license regime, but that changed after 1999. After the DOT decided that instead of paying a fixed amount, the companies would now have to pay a portion of their revenue as part of the license fee and spectrum charge. This is what is called adjusted gross revenue or AGR. Now, in the definition of the AGR, when the you know DOT decided on what would constitute AGR and what would not, the DOT said that the telcos, apart from earning the revenue that they earn from core telecom business, for the calculation of AGR, they must also include all the revenues that they earn from non-telecom sources, such as when they deposit their money and the interest they earn or the assets that they sell, all those you know, monies have to be calculated or be included in the AGR part. This new definition was not acceptable to the telecom companies and they took the matter to court. And since 1999, there have been several rounds of litigations. But finally, after 20 years, on October 24 of last year, the Supreme Court ruled in the favor of the DOT saying that the AGR definition, as decided by the DOT, stands. When the decision came out, the telecom companies had already signed agreements with the DOT to migrate from the fixed license model to the AGR one. And therefore, they were liable to pay the dues, the AGR dues, the penalty on dues because they had not paid for the past 20 years, and the interest on the penalty, which was due to the delay in payments. So all these compounded made a very big amount which we see today. 
The AGR model had, like earlier mentioned, led to the fall of a lot of telecom companies. So when the AGR issue initially cropped up, there were about 16 or 17 telecom companies that were in the market, you know, but like a game of elimination, most of these companies either folded or sold their assets to other companies. And as of today, the only two major companies that have to pay the AGR dues are Bharti Airtel and Vodafone Idea. Bharti Airtel has total dues of 43,000 crore and Vodafone of more than 58,000 crore rupees. Along with these two, there is one more company that owes AGR dues and that is Tata Teleservices. It owes 16,000 crore. Though it is not in the consumer business as of today, uh, because it had sold its consumer mobility business to Bharti Airtel, but in the agreement, Bharti Airtel and Tata Teleservices had agreed that whenever the final judgment of AGR comes, the liability will be on Tata Teleservices to pay the dues. In its judgment last year, the Supreme Court had said that the companies need to make the payment within the next three months. But the companies said that they were in no position to pay it. And they didn't. The day they had to make the payment, the DOT had also sent a letter to the companies. Which said that the telcos need not pay any monies as of now because the matter is sub And once the matter is finally decided by the Supreme Court, we will see what to do about it. Now, in the next hearing on 14th of February, this letter angered the Supreme Court very much, which came down heavily on the DOT as well as the companies that how did they not pay any amounts which were due to the DOT and how could they not, you know, follow the judgment that was given by DOT and despite a clear timeline of three months, why did neither the DOT nor the telecom companies follow it? Ashish explains that the DOT was taken to task by the Supreme Court because, in effect, an officer from the ministry by sending that letter was overruling the judgment of the highest court of the land. After what the Supreme Court said, the companies rushed to make the payment. Bharti Airtel roughly paid 40% of its dues and Vodafone around 13%. And then they said that for the rest of the amount, they will have to be given some time failing which both the companies said that it would be extremely difficult for them to survive. What of one idea, you know, went on to say that if they were not given any relief, the company would have to shut shop also. And on Tuesday, the Supreme Court ruled that these telecom companies could pay their AGR dues to the DOT over the next 10 years, starting 1st of April 2021. This came as a major relief to these companies, even though they had asked for a 20-year timeline. The judgment also said that they would have to make 10% of the payment by March 31st, 2021, and the rest annually over the next 10 years. This makes things easier for both the companies because, like mentioned before, they have already paid at least 10% of their dues. They even comply with the yearly payment part of the judgment for now. So in a way, if we calculate from 1st of September when the judgment came to 31st of March 2021, after which they will have to make the first payment, if at all they do, they have an easy moratorium, so to say, for the next 19 months. As such, they don't have to pay anything. Now, there is some confusion whether, you know, how much they have to pay 
every year from April 1, 2021, or whether they can claim that we have already paid 37% and therefore at least we have two more years before we start you know, paying the next installment. So that has to be clarified and the DOT is working on that. But that is the idea that as of now, both Bharti Airtel and Vodafone Idea, they have at least 19 months because they have paid already, they have paid their you know, 10%. They have 19 months before they have to think of the next payments to be made. Dear listeners, sorry for this interruption, but before we move on to the rest of the show, I just wanted your quick attention. One of the big reasons people say they like this show is because it helps them understand the news better. It provides them with the context they need to see the bigger picture. And there is perhaps no other place that does that better than Indian Express's explained section. We on three things refer to the section regularly and it helps us make this show. If you're a regular reader of Indian Express, you know how useful the explained section can be, especially when you're looking for in-depth analysis by the right experts. You can log on to indianexpress.com slash explained and access the coverage 24-7. Explained by Indian Express, where news that matters is explained by experts who know the subject. Now, back to the show. Next, we talk about PUBG. In the middle of the India-China standoff that has now lasted nearly four months, the Information and Technology Ministry on Wednesday banned 118 apps with Chinese links, citing concerns over the threats to India's safety and sovereignty. This included PUBG Mobile, the biggest video game in India and one of the most popular e-games in the world, whose mobile publisher Tencent is a Chinese conglomerate. PUBG, short for Player Unknown's Battleground, is an online multiplayer game with the simple concept of a battle royale. 100 players are dropped on an island where weapons are hidden all over the place. And the fight is to remain the last one standing in the game that lasts around 30 minutes. The game played a major role in the country's burgeoning esports community. In this segment, we speak to Gaurav Bhatt, who, among other sports, also writes about esports for the paper and is the host of our Express Sports podcast. And we first asked him just how big the esports community is in India. Before talking about big, let's talk about how old the esports community in India is, which is, well, almost two decades old. When these Counter-Strike titles and everything rolled out, there was an esports community, but it was very localized in the sense that the athletes were just college students and these were mainly college fests and you would have quote-unquote clans, which is teams in esports terms, but they weren't playing at a national level. There were a couple of breakouts who went to represent India in international events, but we hadn't made a mark. But PUBG changed that. Gaurav says that it brought a kind of officialdom to the esports space. And this is because PUBG itself realized its market in the country. To give you a sense, excluding China, nearly 40% of the downloads of the game last year were from India. And so PUBG started organizing official events, sometimes with the prize money of up to 40 lakhs. Which sort of helped people who are just still amateurs who are playing it on the mobile phones. They harbor dreams that we can also make it professionally. They formed clans. And on the other hand, we already had existing eSport outfits, which again, focused on games like Counter-Strike, FIFA, Dota, but then they suddenly launched their mobile teams as well to capitalize on this growing PUBG phenomena. So in the last two years, PUBG Mobile became the cornerstone of the esports community in India. 
where you would have all these great events. We've had events before. Uh, international events have been organized in the country as well. But now it went without saying that there will be a PUBG event and some of the biggest names who play PUBG in India will make an appearance. They will compete. And that added to the draw that also added to the officialness of these tournaments. Gaurav says that PUBG was really one of its kind. Before that, 3D games like it only existed for PC. And multiplayer games and mobiles were only restricted to games like Clash of Clans or Ludo. Suddenly with PUBG, you have this AAA title, highly polished. The bugs were there, but they weren't noticeable. And for somebody who hadn't been a gamer before, it was very easy to just pick it up, just download it on your phone. It ran on nearly every phone possible. And you could plug in your earphones. Suddenly you can call on your friends and you have this impromptu gaming session. And that nurtured this habit where mobile gamers, which is a huge section as far as international gamers are concerned, the mobile gaming population in India, it just skyrocketed because there was nothing like PUBG. And just that sheer thrill that if you... Say, for example, if you uh, land a couple of sixes in your Ludo game, that's not the thrill that you're looking for because these guys, when you're headshotting somebody and you're looting their corpses and you're doing whatever, you're actually in there. It's very immersive and it used to be the survival sort of a scenario. Suddenly, people got the taste of what PC gaming looks like on a mobile phone and it's portable. It was accessible to everybody. But most importantly, it was free. This is what made it so popular. And it was not just about the individual gaming experience. It gave people a sense of community. Listen, people would be bunking tuitions, they'll be bunking schools, and they'll just have this clan which might not even have your best friend in there because even though he is your best friend, he might not be very good at the game. Suddenly, it became this free-for-all. And I'm not just talking about the genre of the game, which is, again, this 100-player battle royale game. Everybody parachutes down on an island. It's a free-for-all, you're searching for weapons, you're killing everybody else. But in sense of community, it was there for everybody. For example, you could be playing it on your iPhone 11, and I could be playing it on my OnePlus 2, OnePlus 3, and we would still be there in the same game. I know many players who started their careers from the rural regions of India, where data packs suddenly were cheaper, they had decent phones to run it with, And they were competing and they were winning against people who are PC gamers who are trying out this game on the mobile. And suddenly it was this burgeoning community where everybody was there. There was equality in the sense that spending money won't get you any more skills, won't net you more headshots. And young people were hooked by the game. Last year, PM Modi in Pariksha Pachacha, an event with students and teachers on exams, a parent had raised concerns over her kid's online game addiction and asked the Prime Minister what she should do about it. And his response? (laughs) The game had become a big part of popular culture, and many had even written songs about it. Another reason Gaurav says that it became this popular was because of streamers, which are essentially people who broadcast themselves online, either through a live stream or pre-recorded video, often while playing games. We didn't really have streamers before. We had a couple of gamers who would stream online on YouTube or Twitch, which is an Amazon-owned streaming service. 
But suddenly, people like you and me, we could just connect our mobile phones to YouTube. We could just play it online and suddenly we'll just share the link with our family, friends, and through word of mouth. And if you are good enough, if you're entertaining enough, you could have an audience. These people who I'm talking about from the rural circles of India, suddenly they were, you know, engaging 10,000, 20,000 viewers on YouTube day in, day out. And that added to the sense of community because it seemed something achievable. It seemed very reachable for somebody to pick up the game and have other dreams, like I said, to be a professional gamer and to be a professional streamer. Gaurav says that there weren't many esports teams when PUBG started out. But later, it got existing esports companies like Entity Gaming to recruit PUBG players who wanted to play it professionally. And it also enabled other exclusively PUBG teams to crop up. And these players did make money. The elite teams can give a monthly stipend to the tunes of, say, a early level corporate job, which would be around uh, 25 to 30,000 per month, which is not bad for essentially playing a game. The people who just had this PUBG exclusive lineups, PUBG exclusive teams, they depended a lot more on the prize money and the earnings from the tournament. Say, for example, to break even, they would have to go to an event, they would have to participate, they would have to reach the podium, they would have to get the check for at least the third place, second place, 10 lakh, 20 lakh rupees. And then they distribute it among each other and invested back in gear, having a boot camp, which is essentially four people just sharing a room, practicing day in and day out. But there's no way to find out the average amount that a professional PUBG player was getting. But the people who were there higher up on the, on the spectrum, they would earn decent money. Gaurav reached out to some of these professional players after the ban. Their reaction, he says, seems a bit like sour grapes. On one hand, they want the decision to be revoked, but they also have to balance that out considering the government says that this is a matter of national security. And so most of the streamers and most of the top gamers that I spoke with, they start out by saying that nothing is bigger than the country, right? It is a matter of safety, so we'll migrate to some other game. But it is going to hit them hard. And a couple of them also mentioned that this, you know, they're now worried that if the team will be disbanded. Like I said, if you're running a mobile only, a PUBG mobile only team, suddenly there's no incentive for giving them a monthly stipend because they won't be participating in any events, any tournaments. So the livelihood can be taken away. Same goes for the streamers. Say, for example, in the last couple of years, if you have built a following of 6 million fans on YouTube, like a Naman Mathur, who's more popularly known as Mortal. He's the closest to a Virat Kohli PUBG mobile ever got. Suddenly, he has to come up with new games and he has to hope that he's as good as he was on the PUBG games. So it's going to hit them hard. But if they are hurting, they're doing well to not show it. Back in June, after a face-off between Indian and Chinese troops at the Galwan Valley in Ladakh that left 20 Indian soldiers dead, the government had banned 59 apps with Chinese links, including TikTok. That time, PUBG had anticipated the ban, Gaurav says. We have evidence that they saw it coming because late July, a month after all these bans were announced, they issued a revised policy quickly. Now, what is important about this policy? The statement from the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology says that they received many complaints from various sources of misuse of some mobile apps 
and that they were stealing and surreptitiously transmitting users' data in an unauthorized manner to servers which have locations outside India. And this revised privacy policy where they essentially said, boss, everything that is happening is happening in India, the data is stored in India, the cloud services, everything for fraud detection and support will be done in India itself. That was the last roll of the dice because they knew that a ban might be coming soon. Gaurav in his story also mentions that PUBG, interestingly, did not receive a license to launch in China and Tencent had to create a new version called Peacekeeper Elite with minor tweaks like removal of blood and corpses before its official release. PUBG's ban, though, Gaurav says, will only have a limited impact on Tencent as far as revenue is concerned. India only accounted for 3% of PUBG's total revenue. Moreover, Tencent is one of the biggest video game vendors and has investments in everything from music and movies to e-commerce and payment systems. But the ban will impact the company from the marketing perspective. All these events, all these uh, competitions that they were organizing, they were doing so in association with their partners, which could be, you know, a leading mobile brand, a computer accessory brand, all these peripherals. So suddenly, because these tournaments and these events are on hold, so is the marketing stream from India. And that's going to hit them hard. Another party which will be hit hard, but uh, we'll see if we get the numbers, is YouTube, which I said is a streaming platform. And suddenly, because 80,000 to 90,000 to 1 lakh people won't be flocking to their popular streamers playing PUBG Mobile, YouTube will also feel the heat. The other thing to note is that calling it a PUBG ban isn't entirely accurate. It is technically a PUBG mobile ban. The game can still be played, but on your desktop. Because it was a South Korean company called Bluehole that developed PUBG as a computer game in 2017. And the mobile version was published by Tencent, the Chinese conglomerate, a year later. So now the mobile version is banned. You can't play it on the phones, of course. You can't play it on the tablet. But you have to play it on the PC. Now, the important thing to remember here is that while, and that added to the popularity of PUBG Mobile version, is that you could play it on any smartphone and you already have a smartphone to boot. To play PUBG on PC, you need to have a gaming PC, which ranges from, which can come from, say, 30,000 and it can go up to 1.5 lakh. So that takes away the accessibility factor, which made PUBG such a great game because you already had the device in your pocket. You just had to press start. Now, if you are such a diehard fan that you have to play PUBG, you have to purchase a gaming PC, you have to get it assembled, let's say for 30 to 35,000, 40,000, you have to buy an original copy of the game, which will cost around 1,000. And then you have to hope that your skill set translates from the mobile phone to the computer and mouse keyboard setup. And that's going to take a lot from somebody who just started out as a mobile gamer. So while the game is technically there, the way people have come to know it and the way it became popular is gone for now. And its ban, of course, will be a setback for India's fledgling esports community. Naman Mathur, again, mortal, summed it up best when he said, last night during the live stream where he was pacifying all his fans who were crying because the PUBG has been banned. He basically let it slip that this move has taken them back by a year, which is very accurate because suddenly it's back to square one. 
all the progress that the gaming community had made, the esports events that were there, and a lot more esports events were planned, and uh, they were supposed to come up with PUBG as their cornerstone. Suddenly, their participation is uh, a little iffy. He summed it up best when he says it's taken them back to a year, and I think it's taken them back further than a year because without PUBG, it's difficult to imagine successful esports events. Yes, we'll have. We'll always have the old trusty Counter-Strike to fall back on. We have our FIFAs and our fighting games like Tekken's. But none of those titles that I just mentioned boast the number of spectators as well as the number of players like PUBG Mobile did. And in the end, we talk about the Assam Gas League. It has now been more than 100 days since the Oil India Limited gas well called Bagjan 5 in Upper Assam experienced a blowout. The well, two weeks after it started releasing large amounts of gas, had caught fire and has been burning ever since. In this segment, Tora Agarwala, who has been reporting on the well for the paper, talks about the impact it has had on the area around it. First of all, we should remember that controlling a blowout of this scale is a complicated procedure in itself. Um, the last blowout which happened in 2005 in a place called Dikom in Assam, that took 90 days to control. This time, apart from the regular complications of controlling a blowout, there have also been a number of obstacles for Oil India. For example, in June, there were the annual floods in Assam and that led to a bridge collapse and that's delayed work on the site. Then after that, I think this was in July, that there was like a mini explosion over there and that caused the experts on site to be injured. So even that delayed things. And finally, in mid-August, they almost controlled it and they reached the second last stage of control operations. And they placed something called this blowout preventer. And they were just about to sort of inject mud into the well. But again, that for various technical reasons, which I won't go into now, it failed again. Meanwhile, they're trying to come up with alternative methods. And Tora says foreign experts have now arrived to help as well. But the crisis could still take some time to resolve. Yesterday in the Sam Assembly, Chandramohan Patwari, the Industry and Commerce Minister, said that, you know, at least it's going to take maybe six to more weeks for the fire to be controlled. And I mean, it could also be longer than that. Initially, she says around 3,000 families living in the area had been displaced and were living in different relief camps in nearby villages. Though now only 500 remain in such camps. Others have reportedly started living somewhere else or have returned back to their homes. But the area, of course, is still not a stable place to live in right now. The thing is, if you go there, uh, you can still apparently hear the sound. You know, the wind, because it's spewing out gas, you can still hear the sound till up to maybe five kilometers or even more. That way, it is quite a bother. And of course, I mean, apart from that, there is pollution. You know, many people have complaints of difficulty in breathing and things like that too. I think about 200 people are also camping in front of the deputy commissioner's office in Pinsukia district and demanding that, you know, they're just basically fed up that it's taking so long. And, you know, they're also demanding more compensation than what they've been promised. So I spoke to one local villager from there yesterday and she was telling me how even when the fire is doused and, you know, when they can go back home, they're wondering what they will go back to because, you know, her house wasn't burnt, but her entire garden, and in Assamese, you call it the bari. Basically, that's where, you know, they grow 
say betel nut and things like that and this is what these people subsist on so she was saying that you know her whole garden had been burned so you know what does she go back to what is her livelihood going to be even after this whole you know fiasco is over there are also several environmental concerns especially considering the well is located near the debrusaika national park and the magri motapung wetland which is identified as an important bird area in fact Tora points out that right after the blowout happened the first visible impact had been on the environment after a rare gangetic dolphin had been found dead birds had flown away from the area and several fish had been found dead so it's obvious that the environmental impact is huge and for that the wildlife institute of india also came out with a report and basically spelled out what the damage was and in the report they said that it has at least up to a radius of say 6 kilometers the whole area has been severely affected apart from that obviously you know when the well got fire it spread before the fire was controlled it spread quite quickly and apart from burning homes of a few villagers it also burned crop fields grasslands and even swamps so the environmental impact of this whole thing has been quite severe and the other thing is the national green tribunal had set up an expert committee to look into all of this from that they also found that oil india limited had been you know functioning in this particular well without proper environmental clearances in place so they were also flouting a number of laws while this well was even functioning in a previous episode we had discussed how the blowout had started and the challenges involved in trying to contain such a blowout The link to it is in today's episode description. You are listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and as always, was edited and mixed by our producer, Joshua Thomas. Before we go, here's another reminder to check out Indian Express's Explain section. You can log on to indianexpress.com/explain and find in-depth analysis by the right experts. It has everything you need to know to understand the news better and see the bigger picture. If you like this show, then you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at IndianExpress dot com.